So I'm going to send Molly her first tweet, and we're going to get into it. Here's Molly Jongfast. Twitter is for bullying terrible politicians and making uh, jokes about Elon Musk. And that got 998 retweets and 10,600 likes. So I actually think one of the really cool things about Twitter, I never want to say anything good about Donald Trump because he's so evil. But uh, one of the things he did was he started responding to people's tweets. And people love that. And they love it because they love to feel that they have a relationship with their politicians. And so even though he retweeted the most base and disgusting stuff, it was actually, I think he did it because he's pathological, but also because he's very self-destructive. But the truth is that when politicians engage with people online, it helps them, I think, in a big way. And one of the examples of that you can see in this midterm election so far is John Fetterman, right? Fetterman started just like his wife as being just a very online person. And you see that with like another great example is Eric Swalwell's like very online. And, you know, you and it's funny because it's like there are a lot of members of Biden world who are also very online just not Biden. I do think it helps politicians. That is what Trump established. You could just speak straight to the people. You do not need to futz with traditional media. And you could get a hold of the narrative and do things with it. And I'm surprised that Biden's not jumping on that. That generation, I mean, Trump is odd in a certain way because he's very connected to technology. I mean, he's not tech savvy, right? He doesn't even have email. Uh, But he is and he doesn't text and he's quite weird about a lot of things, uh, probably a crime boss. But he does have this kind of savvy when it comes to engaging with people on the Internet. I I think why it's good is because we now have a world where you really can talk to your politicians and also bully them as well you should. I mean, what's interesting is the Biden administration, they are very reactive. So for example, if people get uh, hysterical about something, they do it. And that's actually quite a good quality. I remember you were one of the early advocates for Twitter saying good things about it, which I say good things about it here, because I remember you wrote an article somewhere, you were like, the most meaningful thing that's happened to me, I think, is like all the relationships that I've forged through Twitter. I love Twitter. I think it's great. I think, so there are a couple things that are great about Twitter. One is just that it's like a community. And we come from this like very bifurcated world that is quite against community. So the idea that there's a community where you can share a cultural experience with other people is huge. I hate the culture of people being like, it's terrible. Me too. I really think that you tweet like an NBA superstar tweeter. That's only because I've tweeted stuff that's gotten me in trouble. I really learned through fucking up. Did it show up? Oh, my mom. It's a picture of my mom. And that got 120 retweets and 3,757 likes. So, 1970s, my mom published Fear of Flying, which was like her big book. She had been a poet before that. 
had this beautiful picture that I just saw, so I wanted to post it, but I didn't feel really, I mean, I want to be a little personal, but I also, you know, I don't want to talk about what's going on with her, which is that she has dementia, because I feel like it's manipulative and it's not appropriate, though she wrote about me my whole life. So I'm very conflicted about how I feel about it. And I also feel like she has dementia, so she's not going to know necessarily, so maybe it's okay. I'm constantly kind of trying to I thought you out. did a great job in your newsletter recently. I love the way you weave in the little personal bits into the historical context. But somebody had said, like, the daughter of a famous writer writing about the daughter of a famous war criminal. So it's true. So, but right. I, it was like, is it feminism or is it nepotism? I actually thought that was, like, a brilliant tweet. I know it was a little bit disparaging, but I don't care. I feel like part of it is, like, because I existed in the 90s when people were so mean to me about my book i'm so sorry about that i did not know that no but that's trauma yeah it's okay i mean i worse things have happened to better people but i think that you do get kind of a thick skin a little bit and like certainly things like elon musk how did that feel because he came right at you what happened was Glenn Greenwald tweeted out this story. So basically, I had a piece about Bill Maher, who had been like a wonderful champion of my mother, and who I had been on the show too in the long time ago. And I'd been watching it. And I just was struck by, you know, I think one of the worst things that people who are in the media can do is pick on trans kids. They're the most vulnerable people in the world. Yeah, I just think there's no okay explanation for it. Just think it's the third rail and you don't touch it. This is a group of very targeted individuals and you just leave them the fuck alone. So you watch Bill Maher and Bill Maher is constantly doing that. And I just felt like it was just enough. And Bill Maher has always been profoundly racist and anti-Muslim. And I think someone like Bill Maher, where he has this cover because he's a liberal, is really, really just a dangerous person. So I had written this piece about Mar, and then Glenn Greenwald, who is the defender of everyone terrible, was like, you're old and rich. And I was like, okay. I mean, <clears throat> and then he had this thing about my apartment. But you know what? The fundamental difference is, A, I'm not as old as Bill Maher, thank you very much, and B, I'm not as rich as Bill Maher, unfortunately. But the thing that is the fundamental difference is I'm also not targeting trans kids, right? And I'm not using, I mean, Bill Maher is a much bigger platform than I do, and he's using it in this stupid way. So I think it actually kind of got to him. Yeah. And I hope that it did because I hope that he stops doing that. I hope that he uses his platform not to target trans kids. So was that intimidating when Elon Musk came at you? Well, part of me was like, oh, my God, because, you know, I've had these events happen where they like go after you and you see you find out that you're on some a list. Or, right. Or 4chan or there's some thread about people saying they want to murder you. It, it depends on how those go. Sometimes they can be really scary. But I also felt like he's elevating me and he's so famous, yes. like. Yes. What is he doing? Like, like it's such a stupid waste of his time and capital. I was worried for you that day a little bit. But it just went on and on and on. And I kept untagging myself and turning off all my mentions. And it kept going and going. 
that wasn't like the ones that are scary are like in November I wrote a piece that was basically the idea was like at Thanksgiving you should talk to your relatives about getting vaccinated but the first line was do you program your relatives as Thanksgiving and then the last line was you know you'll change some hearts and minds or you'll have to call the FBI but my editor made it the lead so these people like screen grabbed it and went nuts and that one was really scary because people started 4chan and then they had to call the FBI because there was some more credible levels of threats. And then I had people calling me like, you need to do this, you need to do that. And that was like actually pretty scary because I thought like, what do you do with this? It's a whole new kind of problem. It wasn't the first time I'd had that. But it was one of the scarier times that I've had that. Though I've also had that other times. And, like, the thing is, I used to go to CPAC. And at CPAC, sometimes I would get messages that were like, I'm behind you and I'm going to murder you. Whoa. Yeah. And so those, I found that quite scary. That's terrifying. And even though I had grown up with a famous mom who had crazy stalkers growing up, people would follow us through places and do you remember that as a kid oh yeah and we had a stalker no growing up was really scary because also she was like an alcoholic and a train wreck and sometimes she'd be very solicitous with the creepy people and then the creepy people would really attach to her and it would be really scary and you're just a kid in that situation. It was so scary we'd have this guy who was her stalker be in our driveway it was so scary and she didn't understand how scary it was and society in the 1980s stalking was a thing but it wasn't i'm so sorry for that sounds so challenging i mean my parents divorced when i was young i had a crazy family upbringing but not like that really scary and confusing and then the people she dated were also quite scary so it ended up being kind of oh my god really those two were scary oh my god I mean, not all of them, but some of them were kind of scary. And so, I mean, a lot of them were fine, but it just definitely felt like a very unstable way to grow up. Yeah. Watching your parents date, I watched it happen. It's like, you know, and they never want to hear about it now. They like pretend like that ever happened. Yeah. More Twitterverse after the break. Welcome back to Twitterverse. I'm going to DM journalist Molly Jongfast another tweet, and we're going to get into it. Elon Musk is all about free speech, except when it comes to NDAs. That tweet got 101 retweets and 10,400 likes. He absolutely hates me. It's so funny because it's like when it was happening, I was thinking like, you're elevating me, you stupid idiot. Like, you're Elon Musk. You're the richest person in the world. You're so famous. But, you know, he's very fragile emotionally. I mean, what's interesting about Twitter is also you just can watch people interact with each other in crazy ways. So basically, he decided he wanted to buy Twitter. 
I'm not sure if there ever was the math that he could actually buy Twitter. And then this sort of right wing group got very excited and they started sucking up to him. And that's how you saw Lauren Boper tweeting right. about how great he was. And you saw, you know, a lot of the usual suspects. And I think you tweeted, congratulations, you got the dumbest whatever. The dumbest member of Congress sucking up to you, which I don't know if she's the dumbest member. I, you know, my heart still belongs to Louis Gohmert a Texas judge from Texas's first district, because he really is, I mean, he represents a sort of trope of stupid Republican Texas congressmen that were judges. I mean, imagine a world where you're up in front of Judge Louis Gohmert. I mean, it's like a kind of doomsday scenario that's hard to imagine. I grew up in Texas. I went into the Marines just so that I could protect myself when I came back out. And I was like in Texas because it was so crazy there, especially yeah. pre-internet. I yeah. mean, I mean, what's interesting about Texas, like why I have a lot of respect for it is because the Democratic Party there is incredible. So I do feel like the Texas Democratic Party, even though they really have not been in power, there is, there's a lot of really interesting candidates there. I think uh, Abbott's really vulnerable right now, and I think Beto could get him. I mean, it'll be so interesting. Look, I mean, if it happens, it'll be because of Uvalde and because of the grid, right? The power grid. Will it happen? I have no idea. I mean, there certainly are. Look at Kansas. Like, look at Kentucky. You can elect a Democratic governor in a red state, it happens. You know, there's so much punditry based on the law that everything is going to sort of happen in the worst possible way. And it, that's true until it's not. I love your optimism. In your newsletter, you always talk very real about how gloom and doom it is. But then you find this piece of information from history that suggests there is the possibility of something good. Yeah, I really thought they weren't going to be able to pass the gun legislation they got a little bit of gun legislation passed. Now, I would completely counted Manchin out because why wouldn't right. you? And then, right. you know, it looks like there's an environmental piece of legislation that's going to get passed. I think it's very easy to be negative. I mean, a good example is like the House. So Democrats are, I think, in pretty good shape in the Senate because of Trump. Basically, Trump right. picked these just unelectable candidates and one is right. worse than the next. And thank God for that. But like, I mean, Herschel Walker, I mean, to have him debate, it's going to be a fucking disaster. J.D. Right, Vance, right. even J.D. Vance, who's like the best of the bad candidates, is just digging himself into a hole. I'm curious, like, as Gen Xers, we're the bridge generation between like no internet and the internet. Has that been an asset of sorts? Do you think for you or Gen X in general? Our brains were sort of broken by the internet. I have this theory that as we move further into the apocalypse, that uh, Gen X is actually, we do better there because we were kind of trained for that with the music we grew up with. It was all sort of apocalyptic and the TV shows like the, the day after and stuff like that. I'm like very down on our generation because of all the Trump supporters in it. I mean, what are they fucking thinking? Well, they hung on to that world that's like, pre-internet somehow they could not move their mind forward we saw a lot of things go wrong we were like the first generation that 
I mean, I remember where I was at 9-11. I remember watching... Space shuttle blowing up? When we- yeah, when we were kids, the space shuttle blowing up. I remember, like, Bush reading that children's book and then the, one of his people going in and telling him. I remember even, like, me being like, why are they going into Afghanistan? Like, what the fuck? Like, what is that? How is that? Clearly, you know, 10 of the hijackers were from Saudi Arabia, so let's go to war in Afghanistan. There were so many of these kinds kind of like disjointed moments in American history. And I remember after 9-11. George Bush was trying to scare us that Saddam might drop something on us soon. So I was in D.C. and people were buying plastic. Duct tape and plastic sheeting. (laughs) I mean, that was duct tape and plastic sheeting was like my favorite because it was so clear that they were not prepared. If there was going to be something, we were completely screwed. And uh, the duct tape and plastic sheeting like, what were you going to, you were going to tape your windows if there, I mean, it was amazing. No, it was a very fucked up time to grow up. Did you get the John Stewart one? Yeah. So John Stewart went been trying to pass a bill on this uh, PAC Act, which was a bill for veterans who had been injured by the burn pits. That got 284 retweets and 10,300 likes. So Republicans are really mad that Democrats actually did good legislation. Yeah, they they got outflanked. Yeah, they got outflanked. He's very smart. So uh, that issue of the soldiers being sick has been very close to me because I was in the Marines way back in the day uh, around the time of the first Persian Gulf War. And there was Gulf War syndrome. There was like 275,000 troops that are sick or have Mm -hmm. died now, but nobody knows about them because we didn't have Twitter back then. Was that something that was on your radar? Because I think that the Pentagon and so forth did a really good job of like shutting that story down. Well, I knew a little bit about it because there's like a real connection between the 9-11 first responders who also got cancer that same way. And I actually had quite a good friend of ours who died of pancreatic cancer who lived down there. Except the burn pits are worse because the government just started them because, you know, whereas 9-11, at least it wasn't the government's fault. So I've known about it, but if anyone has done an amazing job on that, it's John Stewart. And what's weird is I know people in uniform, some of them had criticized him during the Iraq war because he was so smart about how he diagnosed how fucked up everything was. And he was anti-war, as many of us, including myself. But I care a lot about the troops and stuff because those kids don't have a choice in the matter. And the funny thing about Jon Stewart is like probably the only person who can stop Tucker Carlson is Jon Stewart. Jon Stewart now, I don't think he will run for office. But if he did run for office, there's like a horrible doomsday scenario where Tucker Carlson runs for office. Right. I I do not like that scenario. And I'm worried about a Tucker Carlson presidency. You were like amazing. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. You really brought it. And we're so candid. Oh, my God. Thank you so much.